0: Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Glad you're here today um, on a Sunday where we get to celebrate uh, our graduates and celebrate baptism. It's just a great day uh, in the Lord, and uh, we're grateful for your presence. Uh, we're going to actually talk about what I consider to be a bit of a graduation story today. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to head to Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 5, we're going to be uh, looking at a uh, a section of a scripture, a story that, um, and I say a story, not like a fairy tale. This is an account, a historical account from the life of Jesus and, and the life of Peter. The, the portion of scripture that we're looking at today uh, can actually contains what I consider to be uh, my life verse. A passage of Scripture that's very, very special to me. And we'll talk about that very briefly in in a moment. But just some quick context as you're finding your way uh, there in Luke chapter 5. In in the years that Jesus walked the earth um, as, as in human flesh, one of the deepest longings of parents, of boys, was that they would become a great rabbi. That was the vocation, you know, like, you know, a lot of parents want their kids to be a doctor, a lawyer, engineer, something like that. Um, Everybody wanted their their, their sons to grow up to be, you know, great rabbis. And so, all Hebrew boys went to Hebrew school to study the Old Testament when they were very, very little, and they kind of moved up uh, in the ranks. And uh, the brightest, the best of the best, the brightest of the brightest, they would go on to eventually be invited by another rabbi to come and be his disciple. And that was kind of how the rabbinical system worked. So what that should tell you is if you find a young adult male who is not a rabbi, what that means is he flunked out of rabbi school. He wasn't the best of the best, brightest of the brightest, meant that they really kind of couldn't cut it. There And most of them who didn't make it, they would go back home and they would kind of learn their father's trade. And they would basically, that would be the way that they lived their lives out. That would be what they became. Now, uh, particular to the backstory of what we look at here in a moment in Luke 5, uh, it involves a young man named Andrew, although his name's not mentioned in the text, more than likely he was actually there in the story. But Andrew had become a disciple of John the Baptist. You can go read about this in John chapter 1 later on today if you want to. Andrew had become a disciple of John the Baptist, and one day when John the Baptist had been teaching and baptizing in the River Jordan, uh, he points out, because Jesus walked by, and John. There is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Well, that got Andrew's attention, and he said, I'm going to go check this dude out. So that day, Andrew starts following Jesus around that day. Jesus invites Andrew to spend the day with him, and he does. Well, at the end of the day, he goes home. He finds his brother known as Simon. We also know him as Peter, and and he uh, he, he tells him, I found the Messiah. So the next day, he brings Peter to Jesus. And in that meeting, uh, Jesus renames uh, Simon. He tells him, I'm going to call you Peter, because I see something in you, dude. So anyway, that kind of moves on, and then... Um Jesus is driven into the wilderness, the Bible tells us, uh, in, in Luke chapter 4. He's driven out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by, by Satan. Um, and after that is over, he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth where he's not welcomed. And so Jesus leaves Nazareth and heads down to Capernaum, which is Andrew and Peter's hometown. And he sets up his ministry there. And when he gets into Capernaum, he starts uh, attending synagogue. He does some healings. He eventually ends up one night in one evening in Peter's home where his mother-in-law is very, very sick, running a very high fever. And he heals her, miraculously heals her. And she gets up. She is so, she's so righteously, incredibly healed that she gets up and starts making dinner. You know, that's, that's just crazy healed, okay? So anyway, that's what she goes about doing. And so this is the story. Jesus begins setting up his ministry uh, there in, in this town uh, of Capernaum. And all of that brings us to where we're at today, Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, this is also another name for the Sea of Galilee, With the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, if this was a movie, this would be, you know, scene one, kind of act one. And Jesus was walking along the shore, and he's teaching, and the crowds. Now, the crowd uh, is estimated, the population of... Uh, Capernaum is estimated around this time it's a village basically to be about maybe 15,000 or so people and so these people start crowding around Jesus wanting to hear him and because of the crowds trying to get closer to him they start literally kind of pushing him out into the lake and so Jesus sees these boats, and he, he, he sees this crowd pressing in on him, and he's not ready to walk on water yet. He will do that later, but this isn't the moment when he does that. And so you just kind of get this picture of, uh, of what's taking place. Um, and, and everybody is hanging on Jesus' every word except, guess who? Peter. Peter is not doing that. Peter begins—now now this story— Peter's going to be a major actor in this story. Matter of fact, this part of the story is so much about Jesus' relationship with Peter. But Peter begins this journey disinterested. He's not really interested in what's happening. He's not, you know, really caring about what Jesus is saying. He's interested in what he's doing. He's got a task in front of him. And like so many of us men, when we got a task in front of us, it's hard for us to think about anything else going around. Peter's unwilling to say, this can wait. I need to hear from Jesus. So time out for a second. Let me, let me mess around in your life for a moment, okay? Let me, let me just do that. Um, my guess is there may be somebody here today, maybe a little like Peter, who, um, you know, at, 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 at this moment, maybe you're, maybe you're distracted by something going on in your life, or maybe, maybe you showed up today because somebody you loved and were friends with or a family member was being recognized in graduation, but you're not really interested in the things of Jesus, but, but you're here. Well, if that's you, let me say something to you. Beware. Beware. Because this is where Peter was. And in that moment, Jesus does an incredible work and Peter has an encounter which reveals the beauty and glory and power of God's only begotten son, Jesus. And his life begins to change dramatically in his disinterested and distracted state. See, Peter, Peter just wants a normal life, man. He wants to go to work. He's got a family. He wants to come home. He's got kind of this solid plan. And Jesus is about to mess it all up in a good way. But, but, but mess it up. See, Peter's not interested in what Jesus is saying. But here's one of the really wonderful things about Jesus. Jesus will not be ignored. He just won't. He's not, he's not going to be ignored. Look at verse 3. He, that is Jesus, got into one of the boats. The one belonging to Simon. He didn't ask if he could get in the boat. He just got in the boat. Now he does ask. Look what he asks now. He asks him to put out a little from the shore... Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Jesus comes along and he just kind of commandeers Peter's boat and commandeers Peter. Now, Jesus could have just gone and sat in the boat and taught from there. That would have given him enough separation from the people. You know, he, he could have handled the crowd that way. But see, Jesus is not only interested in what's going on in the crowd. Jesus is interested in Peter. And without knowing it, Jesus is about to give Peter four Great tests. Peter is going to, he's, he's on a track to graduate. He doesn't even, even know it yet. But Jesus is going to give Peter four great tests. And the first test, all of the tests, have to do with whether or not Peter can be the kind of person who can both be a follower and a leader. And the test that we're going to look at today. Are, are, are tested, are very practical. You could use them in the marketplace. Uh, if you're someone who have people, you know, that you employ, you can use these tests and employ them to give them to folks in a work environment. Um, in fact, they, they also can serve as a model for all of us uh, for ways that we can make a greater impact. If we can work out these tests for ourselves. But see, Peter has this plan. He's got this process. He's, you know, he's got his own thing going on. But now Jesus has stepped in. And Jesus is uh, administering the very first test to Peter. And this is the first test. Are you prone to action? It's the are you prone to action test. See, Jesus tests Peter to see if he will act at his request. Will he take his skills? Will he take his possessions? And will he use them for something bigger than himself? Back in 1986, some of you may remember this. um, The Sea of Galilee uh, had dropped in its depth and height um, because of a severe drought in the land. And during that time, some fishermen came upon a wreck of of a boat. It was sticking out of the mud. And scientists came, they excavated it. Uh, they carbon dated it and found that it was uh, dated to the first century. And so this became known as the Jesus boat. Can you bring that first slide up? This is, this is the hull of that boat that's in a museum in, um, around Capernaum. And uh, th- this not because they, it, got, it got named the Jesus boat not because people thought this was the boat Jesus sat in. Or Jesus, this is the boat Jesus, you know, walked on the water past and Peter got out of. Nobody's thinking that. They're just saying this is a first century boat. This is the kind of boat that Jesus would have been in and and the kind of boat that Peter would have had. Here's a a model of it, kind of an actual scale model of what it would have actually looked like in in that day. This was just a common fishing boat. This one was about 27 foot long, about seven and a half foot wide. And uh, this is what... Jesus stepped into and began teaching from. And remember, people were were clamoring to, to get closer to Jesus. They were hanging on his every word, maybe except for Peter. And Peter responded. Now, I can't tell you why Peter responded, but I'm going to tell you that I don't believe, based on the context of the story, that Peter was kind of eagerly responding. I think Peter might have been begrudgingly responding, probably thinking something like, well, he did heal my mother-in-law after all. Maybe I'll just, you know, go, go along with it. So, anyway, Peter does. So, Peter passes the first test. Will he act? And or is he prone to action? But I, I, I wonder, have you ever been asked to do something and you agreed to do it, but you grumbled under your breath? I have to, you know... I have to confess that I've done that before. And so I just wonder, you know, if, if Peter was grumbling a little bit saying, come on, man, I worked all night. You know this. You know we've been out fishing. I just, I just want to get home. I just want to get some sleep. Here's the other thing. The Scripture does not tell us how long Jesus taught in Peter's boat. We, we don't know how long he taught. You know, my opinion and, and um, I know Garrett Walker agrees with this. All great teachers talk a really long time. You know, so you brought your lunch today, right? No, I'm kidding, kidding, kidding. don't worry, don't worry. But anyway, we have this, this moment it, it, when Peter's in the boat and he's in the boat with Jesus. So he's kind of seated there with Jesus. And who's everybody looking at? Jesus. And then at some point, they probably glance over and see who's this dude? They're looking at Peter, looking at Jesus, looking at Peter. And I wonder, I wonder if Peter started to nod off while Jesus was teaching, you know? He, he'd had no sleep, and we already know, if you know the story of Peter, we know later on he falls asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus has said, would you stay awake and pray, please? And he can't, you know? And he, so he's, he's, he's had no sleep, he's been fishing all night, and I think he's fighting to keep his, his eyes open, you know? Um, do y'all remember back in the days when churches had big chairs? You know, and the associate, like the worship leader, was sitting in one of the big chairs, and the associate pastor was sitting in one of the big chairs, and the, whoever was talking that day would talk. On, on YouTube, there are videos of some of those people falling asleep. You know, doing the, 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 the neck break knot, you know, kind of thing. I just wonder, was that, you know, was that, was that Peter? Maybe. But I think at some point, something that Jesus said grabbed him. He might have been fighting sleep. He might have been wishing, you know, I wish I'd have brought some coffee. But he he hears Jesus teach. The Bible says Jesus was teaching the Word of God. We don't know. But I wonder maybe if this was one of those moments when Jesus taught on, you're the light of the world, like Ty was telling us about. And wonder if Peter thought for a moment that, could that be true for me? Could, could I be that kind of person? I'd like to be. Or maybe, maybe Jesus was saying, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I tell you not to be angry. Well, we know that Peter could get angry quickly. He could just jump off the, the, the deep end of stuff. I mean, he, he, he got kind of angry one night, he cut a guy's ear off, you know, just in, in a moment. And I wonder, you know, what did he think about that? Maybe he's thinking i got to deal with my own anger issues. Or maybe Jesus is saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And we know that on at least one occasion, Peter struggled with the truth because three times in one night he lied about even knowing Jesus. And so I wonder if, if maybe Peter's thinking about some of the lies maybe that he had told. Maybe Jesus said, you know, don't worry. Think about the birds of the air. God takes care of them. And maybe, maybe Peter hears this talk. And there's this probably strange mix of combination of longing and hope for what he might could become. While at the same time dealing with the guilt and shame about how far away from that reality he, he is. But suddenly, verse 4 tells us that Jesus gets done teaching. And I don't know whether, you know, Peter might have been lost in something. But Jesus in verse 4 says that when he's finished speaking, he said to Simon... Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And friends, this is the second test that Jesus is kind of secretly administering. And it's the will you take direction test. And I imagine these words probably snap Peter back. Maybe he had kind of got caught up for a moment. But now suddenly, this itinerant rabbi who's just passing through town says, let me teach you something about fishing. Let me teach you something about fishing. So Jesus has hijacked his boat. He commandeered Peter's life. And now he says, I don't think you're such a hot fisherman. Now, let me show you how it's done. Could you imagine quite possibly that Peter was getting a little frustrated with Jesus, maybe? You know, Jesus, Jesus is now asking him. He, he's saying, I want you to go out into the deep. Now, if you know anything about the, the, the Sea of Galilee, the deep parts are out in the middle, like most lakes. And um, that lake is 13 miles long. It's 8 miles wide. And Peter, who's been up all night, Jesus now says, let's go out there in the middle. Let's leave, leave the edge. Let's get away from the shore. Now, here's the interesting thing. You could kind of imagine Peter thinking, that's not where the fish are. That's not, that's not how we do it. And we don't fish in the middle of the day. That's why we were fishing at night. You know, we're the professionals. That's why we were cleaning our nets, to get ready for going fishing tonight. Now, remember, Peter is probably exhausted. He's disappointed because they didn't catch anything. He's frustrated, I think, because Jesus is telling him something that Peter thinks he knows better. Now, a lot of you, you know, kind of look at life through math. So if you need an equation here, basically what you have is exhaustion plus disappointment in this case equals an encounter with the living God. That's new math for those of you that are looking for some new math in your life. Every mother of a preschooler says gay because every mother of a preschooler knows what it's like to be disappointed and exhausted all at the same time. And I think it is incredible to know that we can meet Jesus at a place like that. It's incredible for me to know that. That I don't have to go off to a spiritual retreat with some spiritual guru in order to have an encounter with Jesus. I can do it right where life happens. When I'm exhausted. When I am disappointed. When I'm frustrated. I can hear his voice. And I can know that he's calling me. Jesus says, put down your nets in the deep for a catch. Now, remember, Peter had just been cleaning his nets before Jesus has interrupted his life. So, Jesus is kind of pushing the envelope here. You know, Peter was preparing for his next day of work. So, you need to kind of feel the weight of this test that he's giving to Peter because... The potential for frustration is going up. I could see Peter said, I've just been cleaning these nets. I'm totally exhausted. Now you're asking me to get my nets all dirty, and I'm not going to catch a thing. And then these words from Jesus, and Peter will respond. Verse 4, I'm going to read it again. Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Now, I don't know how you read that, but I read into a level of frustration and exhaustion and and disappointment. And maybe what Peter's thinking is mine is, come on, Jesus, I know how to do my job. I do this every single day. But I think something happened. I think there's a pause. Again, if this was a movie, this would be pause for effect. But I think there's a pause here because Peter knows that there's something different about this man. After all, this is the man who came into my home and miraculously healed my mother-in-law. What else might he do if I would just step into this one moment and rearrange my life around his words? And so Peter does in this moment. And Peter speaks six words that forever change his life. And Peter says to Jesus, because you say so, I will. B-Y-S-S-I-W. Because you say so, I will. Jesus, I don't get it. I don't necessarily agree with your tactics. I got doubts that this is going to do anything positive in my life. I've just washed these nets. I was getting ready to go home for some sleep. Don't think anything really constructive is going to happen. But, B-Y-S-S-I-W, because you say so, I will. Six words that forever changed his life. And they're the very same six words that could change your life or maybe already have in some way, Byssiw. I, I know for a fact that we could go around this room because I know some of your stories and you could tell about your B-Y-S-S-I-W moment, that fork in the road where you decided to, to answer the call of Jesus to go out and do something deeper than you've ever done before even when it didn't make sense to you. In Peter's life, he got redirected. Things changed. And I don't think that this was like this moment of intellectual clarity for Peter. I think this was a moment of faith. I think it was a just a step of faith. I don't think what Peter suddenly thought was, cool, I believe what you're saying because I can just imagine there are tons of fish in this lake just going to swim right up into my net right now. I don't think that's what, I don't think that's what Peter thought. I don't think that was in, in his mind. I think this was a reluctant because you say so. I will. But see, this moment of truth is not built on a moment of clarity intellectually, but of faith. And this step changes the course of Peter's life forever, and it could change ours too. See, here's today's big idea in the message, and it's simply this. The life that we long to live is found in the obedience God calls us to give. The life that we long to live is found in the level of obedience that God calls us to give. It's found in in the life that our soul longs for is connected to, to, to this level of obedience. See, if Peter had said no at this moment, we'd never read about his story we never, he'd, he'd never become a disciple. He'd have been more like another encounter Jesus had with a rich young ruler. And after that story, that encounter, we never hear about that guy's life again. He just falls off the radar. But Peter's response was different. Peter, I think in an act of faith says, because you say so, I will. Anybody else out there just have a fond little place in your heart for that wacky little movie, Princess Bride? Anybody, you know, it's a cool little movie. You know, there's this character, Wesley, and he's just in love with Princess Buttercup. And he's always saying things like, you know, as you wish or whatever you want. And these are just, those are phrases uh, of love. Because you say so, I will is a statement of discipleship. I don't see it, can't figure out exactly what's going on don't have complete clarity, but Jesus, I will trust you. What's your answer to Jesus? When Jesus comes to you in his word and he calls you to do something that you don't quite understand or believe something, what what does your response look like? How do do you come at that? When When you read in the scriptures that you're not called to just forgive one time. But seven times 70. Do do you, is your response, because you say so, I will. When you read the invitation that the life that we really want only comes when we give life away, do you say, that doesn't make any sense? Or do you say, Jesus, because you say so, I will. When you read that the path of greatness can only come through servanthood, through washing people's stinky feet? Do you look at that and say, not in this world that we live in. you got to grab for power. Or do you say, because you say so, I will. The call to love our enemies, to release our anger, to live free from anxiety, is our response to Him, Jesus, you don't get it. Or is your response... Because you say so, I will. When when something that Jesus teaches, when his word goes against, you know, popular culture, and it seems crazy in our day, when we read in God's word that we shouldn't fool ourselves that anyone who indulges in sexual sin or practices homosexuality or people who are greedy or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, that none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. What do you do with that? Do you cower to the culture? Say to Jesus, Jesus, you just don't understand the the times we're living in, man. Or do you say, because you say so, I will? See, here's the thing. If we only hear Jesus inviting us to do the things that we think are cool or the things that we think are right, here's what that means we're not listening very well, we're not really listening to the Jesus of the Bible. In that great epic adventure of Herman Melville's Moby Dick, there are lots of characters in there. One of the characters in there is a, a pastor, and in one place he's preaching from the book of Jonah. And this service is designed for sailors, and so he's kind of on, on target with that group of people. And the pastor says this, he says, all things that God would have us do are hard for us. And he's, he's reminding them. That, you know, it, it's obedience to God is, is difficult at times, the cost of discipleship. And he goes on to say this I love this line. If we obey God, we must first disobey ourselves. If you're gonna obey God, you're gonna have to first disobey yourself. You gotta release ownership, you gotta give up control, you gotta come to the place where you become a person who says B Y S S I W. Because you say so, Jesus. I'll do it. I, I'll follow you that way. Many of you are, are familiar with a, a passage of Scripture, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. That, that's the same way as saying B-Y-S-S-I-W. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, B-Y-S-S-I-W, and He will direct your path. Friends, one of the reasons so many followers of Christ are on the wrong path is because they will not they will not go to that place where they say, because you say so, I will. Peter takes a step on that path. His story continues, verse 6. When they had done so, when they had let down their nets, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Now, fo- follow the nets in the story for a minute. Let's say they're a character in this, in this story. First, they're being cleansed. Okay, the, 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 the net, Peter's cleaning his nets, and he's disinterested. Then he reluctantly puts them down in the deep. Then he brings them up, and what starts happening? They start tearing apart. And you can almost say, Peter says, Come on, Jesus, man, give me a break. You know, th- this is my livelihood. This is what I work with. You're tearing up my tools and my trade, man. Friends, that's the way Jesus often works. Jesus often works that way. The blessings from God come in and they will start to wreck your regular, ordinary life. Wreck it in a good way. Wreck it for the glory of God and you're good eventually. But it will start to, you'll start to feel the tension of this. See, we all love the thought of change, but when it actually comes down to it and it starts to break our nets, we start to back up. We start to try to walk away. And Peter was experiencing that. So in verse 7 it says, So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. That is a picture of Peter's old life in this moment. It began to sink. His old life was sinking Friends, if you are, if, if, if you are unwilling to do the ridiculous, you will never see the miraculous. If you're unwilling to let down nets, even when your nets, even when it doesn't make sense, even when you just spent the night cleaning them, even when you can't see the good in it, When Jesus calls, if you are are not willing to do the ridiculous, you will miss out on the miraculous. I was thinking as I was walking through this about the moment in time where we experienced the Lord calling uh, me to give up my job with the U.S. post office and come back into ministry full time. And I had people in my life people in my extended family that told me that that was ridiculous. But looking back and looking and knowing some of your stories because we said yes to that, I think about the, some of the miraculous things that we would have missed out on. Getting to see God do. If you, if you won't step into what you think of in this world, as ridiculous, you will miss the miraculous. See, one of the great steps of devotion always leads to something great. And friends, B-Y-S-S-I-W devotion will always lead you to absolute astonishment and abundant blessing. It always leads you there eventually, but you got to take that first step. See, B-Y-S-S-I-W positions you to step into a place where you can look God in the face and say, I never expected this. It's it's better than I was ready for. I love what the Christian apologist, uh, Peter Kreft, writes. He says, thy will be done, that phrase from Jesus, thy will be done, is the infallible road to total joy. It's the pathway to total joy. Now, friends, I'm just going to be gut level honest as long as the Lord honors me to get to be your pastor. And as long as I get to, to draw breath, I'm, go- I'm going to plead with you, plead with you to be B-Y-S-S-I-W people. To be that individually, to be that as a church, because B-Y-S-S-I-W is a life filled with joy. It's a life filled with the grace of God. It's the abundant life that God has planned for us. Now, here's the deal about you and me. None of us know what Jesus knows. None of us knows what great catch is just below our little dinghy that we call our life. None of us see all the fish. None of us see the great catch that God has planned for us, and we'll never see it if we don't say, because you say so, I will. Please hear this. This is, this is kind of a, a statement and a question. If there is a step of faith that you're resisting, then there is a blessing from God that you're forfeiting. If there's a step of faith that you're currently resisting, there's a blessing from God that you're currently forfeiting, do you want His blessing? Do, do, do you want that? Or do you want to forfeit it? See, if you're unwilling to forgive, if you're unwilling to take that step out of that addiction, maybe to something like pornography, if you're, if you're unwilling to step the, take the steps you need to take to, to, to let go of anger, if you're unwilling to, to reconcile, there's a blessing that you are forfeiting because there's a call in your life from Jesus to let something down, to go, to go into the deep. And there's a joy awaiting you when you do. See, Peter is moving, Jesus, uh, Jesus is moving Peter from this place of rationally thinking only to miraculously thinking. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, all these fish flopping around in the boat, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Peter sees this blessing that out of the outflow of his obedience, these two boats filled with fish. And and you got to picture this in your mind because here's the third test that Jesus is giving to Peter. And it's the test of, will you let go of your ego? Well, you let go of your ego test. See, Peter could have said, I'm this great fisherman. I knew this was going to happen. It's all about me. But Peter didn't do that. Peter let go of his ego. He let go of some other things in that moment. This is going to feel weird, I know, but I just want you to close your eyes for just a second. Just close your eyes for just a second. And I want you to kind of play this out in, in your head. You're in this... You're in this 27-foot long boat, seven and a half foot wide. It is filled with flapping fish trying trying to breathe. And Jesus looks at you in your eyes and it's kind of a look of, I told you so. And Peter bows down. And this boat filled with flopping fish Becomes an altar of praise. Open your eyes. He makes this statement in the midst of all that Jesus, go away from me. Go, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. I recognize that you are God. Get, get, get away from me. You know, th- he says, I'm a sinner. Just Bible trivia for a moment. This is the first time in the Gospel of Luke that that word sinner is used. Not the last time, but it's the very first time. And Peter's experiencing something. The same thing that the prophet Isaiah Experience. Some of you remember, in Isaiah chapter 6, in this great vision, Isaiah comes into the throne room of God. He sees the angels flying, calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and Isaiah falls down and says, woe is me, for I am lost. Some translations say, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live in a people uh, of unclean lips. But my eyes have been opened, and I see the King, the Lord of hosts. Friends, that's what... Happened to Peter. And when we have that kind of moment, when we begin to clearly see God, it will be the first time where we begin to accurately see ourselves. And that's what happened to Peter. And it leads him to that woe is me moment for Peter. He says, get get away from me. I don't deserve to be in your presence. Here, this is where his obedience leads to, and where the same kind of obedience can lead us to. See, we start to see the face of God when that, when that happens. When we receive this blessing of God, we start to see his face. And here's what always happens BYSSIW devotion leads to our recognizing our unworthiness. And reorienting, and reorienting our worship. When we, when we come to that moment, see, that's what genuine repentance does. We, we step out of what God calls us out of and into life with God, and we become aware. We, we, we repent. We turn away from one belief system and we turn to another way of seeing everything in the world, a, a new reality. Who we are in Him. And and friends, here's the deal. If we never see Jesus clearly, we'll never obey Him fully. It's what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31, 32. Jesus said there, He said, if. There's a clause there, if. If you abide in my word, then you'll truly be my disciples. Then you will know the truth and you will be set free. But you've got to abide in His Word. you got to obey His Word to be His disciples. And then you'll know the truth. And Jesus told us that His name is truth. That's, he, he is truth. Jesus said in John 14 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Truth, truth has this name. His name is Jesus. And this absolutely changes Peter's life. He says, go away from me, Jesus. Now, interestingly to me, maybe not to you, but interestingly to me, that was the same phrase that the the rabbis had said to Peter earlier in his life. The rabbis had said to Peter, "You didn't cut the mustard, man. You didn't. You didn't pass. You didn't pass the test. Get, get away from us. You didn't. You didn't make it out of rabbinical school. There are people bigger and brighter and better than you. You just go back home, go fishing, Peter. Get away from us," they said to Peter. And now Peter is saying to the ultimate rabbi, get away from me. Get, get away from me. I, I, here's one of the things I pray that you are astounded by in this story. It's not mentioned. It just happens. Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't go away. Jesus right here in the midst of this revelation of Peter realizing how sinful he is, how broken he is. Jesus doesn't leave. Friends, this is actually, this is actually a prerequisite to seeing Jesus clearly. And that is that we begin to recognize our own brokenness. It's a, pre, it's a prerequisite of drawing near to Jesus. Is coming to this place where you say, woe is me. I'm undone by my own sin. It's a prerequisite to following God. It's not a disqualifier. When you recognize how broken and sinful and, and messed up you are. And Peter takes Je- Jesus takes Peter to this moment. And, and Peter expects condemnation. But what does he get? He gets grace. He gets blessing. He gets this incredible calling. See, Jesus is moving Peter from rational to miraculous, from condemnation to confessing him as Lord. Verse 10, and they talked about them being astonished, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. See, Simon's declaration of because you say so I will will always lead to others finding Jesus that way too. It says, Simon's partners, then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything, including those nets, and they followed him. He was washing nets disinterested. He's dropping nets in a frustrated way. He's pulling them back up, not believing Jesus is breaking them. And now he's letting them go. And that's the fourth test that Jesus gives Peter. Will you give up to go up? Will you give up to go up with God? See, those nets are a picture of everything that symbolized Peter's life. They are his identity. He's a fisherman. They are his security. But when, when he sees Jesus, when he, when, you know like that old song? When he turned his eyes upon Jesus and he looked full into his marvelous face. You know what happens to the things of this earth? They get dim. They just, they just get really, really, that, that song says, they get strangely dim. Just, just strangely dim. And Peter leaves it all, and he follows Jesus. And it's the same for all who will follow Jesus. See, B-Y-S-S-I-W, devotion, leads us to relinquish what we think of as our rights, so that we can follow his call. We'll, we'll let go of those other things so we can follow his call. It leads us to a new way of life. Some of you, maybe you'll remember, back in 2017, it was in, on some, several news outlets. Um, there was a basketball game at the University of Louisville. And you know how sometimes they'll select somebody from the crowd to come out and, at halftime and do like some type of shooting to win something? Well, they invited this, this young man to come out of the crowds and, you know, they do it early in the game and they make him sign forms and all that kind of stuff. But uh, the deal was, if you could make a layup, a free throw shot, a three-point shot, and a half-court shot, you could win $38,000. And so the guy comes out, halftime, he does his layup, perfect. He goes back to the free throw lane, shoots free throw. He steps back to the three point, drains the three pointer. He goes back to half court. He steps back and he lobs it. Nothing but net. Crowd goes wild. They don't think they're going to be able to finish the game. It's just, it's just, it's crazy. He, he, he wins it. But When he goes back and they, after that moment's over, and they ask him some questions, they found out that he had played basketball. And in the fine print of the contract, it said that you could have not played basketball at a high school level or a college college level in the last six years. And he said, yeah, he had. In fact, he'd kind of been a star on his team, and uh, so he was disqualified. He didn't get the money. But he did get to be a sermon illustration today. Um, I know he's saying, great, that's wonderful. You know, Here's why I tell you that story. It's because I think sometimes, so often, we believe that our God is the God of fine print. And he's not. He, I think we think so often that, okay, you know, I'm going to do this because you say so, I will kind of thing, but then one day God's going to realize how big a mess I am He's going to see my addictions. He's going to see my, my past. He's going to know the baggage. And he's, he, he's just going to say, if I had known that, I'd have never called you. That is not the God of the Bible. It is not the Father that Jesus described to the world. And it is not Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. He's not a fine print kind of God. He knows everything about you and he calls you anyway. Now please hear me say this. His call doesn't always mean that you're gonna have to go somewhere else to follow him. I think most often in our day, what he calls us to do is follow him right where we're at. To fall down and worship him in the midst of the flopping fish around us. You know, to to, to be thankful of that, to have a renewed awareness of God. Who is always working around us. And that 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 Lord, that King of Kings, that Peter recognized finally in the boat in that moment, that you and I would have a renewed awareness of who that is in the boat with us. But make no mistake, Peter's life was forever changed. See, B-Y-S-S-I-W lead him, led him to this place of blessing. And it will for you and for me. It leads him to a place that is no longer just about the rational, but about the miraculous. It'll never lead you to a place of condemnation, but always to a place of confession and calling from God. A.W. Tozer said it like this, salvation apart from obedience Is unknown in the sacred scriptures. Apart from obedience, there can be no salvation, for salvation without obedience is a self contradictory impossibility. So here's the question that I want to ask you today Is there anything in your life right now that you're resisting, but you're sensing God calling you into? Anything. What does it look like for you to say, because you say so, I will? Friends, the life that you long for is on the other side of that kind of life. What are you saying no to that you feel like Jesus is inviting you into? These just short 11 verse uh, encounter, Jesus calls Peter to surrender, to lay down his nets from from a sense of woe is me to you're the Lord. I'm going to be with you. You know, from the rationale that I got to understand it all in order for it to be right to experiencing the miraculous, I never expected that things could be this good, that life could be this incredible. And see, I pray that's a longing in your heart, and I pray that's a longing for our church that we want to step into that kind of life, but it hinges on those six little words. Jesus, because you say so, I will. I will. In Luke chapter 22, Luke records on the night that Jesus was betrayed, being in the garden, alone with his father, and saying, Father, if you were willing, remove this cup from me, remove this suffering that it looks like I'm about to face. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, that's Jesus' way of saying, because you say so, I will. Even if it means I've got to go to the cross, because I love them that much. And I love you that much, Father, and I trust you that much. So, friends, just kind of closing with this thought. Since Jesus is a a B-Y-S-S-I-W Savior, shouldn't we be a a B-Y-S-S-I-W people? Shouldn't that be the, the words that we, we bring to him? He, he invites us to a moment like this. Thy will be done. See, the world changes there. W- will you say to Jesus... Maybe today, maybe for you, it'll be the first time that you say to Jesus, Jesus, I don't get it, I don't understand all the details of this thing. But because you have said to me, Come, I will. I'll follow you with my life. Or or maybe, maybe you need to say it for the first time in a long time again. Maybe, maybe you need to say to Jesus one more time, because you say so, I will. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come in this moment. We come, Jesus, seeing you, seeing you in inviting us into moments like Peter, seeing you inviting us into your life, seeing you stepping into our lives, calling us into something deeper, something richer, something miraculous. For many of us in this room, there, there have been times when we've said, because you say so, I will. But if we're honest in this moment, there's something that you're calling us to do and we're saying no to. But Jesus, we want to come. We want to we turn from that. We don't want to forfeit blessing. We want to follow with, because you say so, I will. And you may be here again in that kind of moment that you've been to a thousand times and you hear Jesus calling let down your net into something deeper I got a blessing for you, you won't be able to hold it and maybe today you want to release and you want to say okay Jesus I don't understand it I don't know how it's going to flesh out but because you say so I will or maybe you're here today and you're kind of like Peter in this account and for the very first time you're seeing Jesus for who he is You're seeing Jesus now as the only begotten Son of God who came to set you free from the penalty and the power of sin. And you want to let go. You want to release. You want to step out into a deeper life with Jesus. And it's called repentance. It's called believing Him, trusting Him, and repenting. Choosing to say, I walk away from thinking I could figure it out through my own intellect. I give up on only having to be rational I take a step of faith when I can't see and I'm trusting you Jesus like Oliver did and and testified through his baptism I want to trust you, I want to follow you because you say so Jesus today I will and if you want to do that right where you're seated you you can just pray you can just say Jesus today I'm repenting I'm turning away from my nets I'm turning away from that life where I th- thought I was in control because I see something better and I see you and I want you and I'm following you because you say so I will and you're here in that moment right now just trust him Father we, we come to this moment giving thanks even if we're at this moment here again for the thousandth time we come believing and trusting that you have something so much better we don't want to forfeit blessing we want to step in and be the kind of because you say so i will people to be that kind of church so we come to worship you now to remind ourselves of this reality that even though we might be here again you're with us you won't forsake us you know us We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.